You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. This week, I am talking with the great Matt Evans. Thanks for being here, Matt. Oh, thanks for having me, Louis. We Thank were, you. Yeah, pleasure. Pleasure is ours, man. Uh, we were just talking about Just for Laughs before we started the, the conversation. Um, so how does a person prepare for Just for Laughs? Um, I think it's just trying out a bunch of material you know um i think for that you need to have at least um or at least what i'm going for here is three or four of your best characters Mm. and then it's just trying to find what those three and four are you know so trying double that yeah and and getting to three and four that you really like you have um a very specific tone to the kind of comedy that you produce. Um, how, how, like what kind of characters do you do? What kind of characters are appealing to you when you're writing? What, what, what kind of characters do you end up finding that you connect the best with and, and have the best time pursuing? I probably play versions of myself. Yeah. Like that's what I probably can admit to myself is I'm playing versions of Matt Evans, um, either based on experiences or jobs that I've had or, or, um, stuff I've enjoyed to watch on TV. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the stuff I kind of, I'm, I'm drawn to, you know, do you have a handle on your, on your like personality as a comedian? And I ask that because it, it, it's something that I think I'm, I think I know, I try to put myself in a funny state of mind before I'm about to perform and, and it just to kind of like switch that gear so that I'm, I'm kind of at my, yeah at like a good energy where, where something fun is probably going to happen. And, and I, I think I know what I'm sort of funny at until I stop to think about it. And then when I think about it, it, it. I can't pin it down and I'm sure it's way more obvious than I'm making it for myself. Yeah. But I, I think over time I've kind of developed a little bit of like a blind spot about my, my, um, style as a comedian. Do you think that you have a, a, a handle? Um, I, I don't know because then you'll have like those, a bad show and then you're like, I don't know who yeah. I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I do. I mean, I've, I guess I know what, I tend to play, you know, I guess I'm the guy that that's like the straight man, you you know, Mm -hmm. um, in in some of my, at least improv is, or, or, um, the guy that's going to kind of ground it in reality. I, I don't know where that comes from for, from being a comedian. Like I know that's what I like to do and that's what comes off on stage. Yeah. I feel like I kind of know who I am, but then there's times that I'd rather not do that too, you know, like, or I'd rather play, be something different mm. than, than 
what I'm normally doing on stage. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. Yeah. Like I feel like that was one of the big things for, um, I think this was one of the things where when I started doing improv and we came up at the same time, you know, at the, at the magnet mm-hmm. and, um, there was one way of like that. I, I, I don't know that I got to be performing, you know, and it was nice to kind of stretch that and go in a different direction with like, a four track right. for to you know to bring that up right because it was just playing a different way for a while you know so i only bring that up because um i think i know to answer your question i think i know kind of who i am out there but i i strive to do other things sometimes mm-hmm. in in stretch in a different direction because mm-hmm. I'd I'd like to do that too. I don't want to be all the time the guy that's like you know grounding the scene like I'd love to be the wild the wild just farley yeah. out there, you yeah. know, like that I I know that's not what I normally am, but that's so fun to play. And so when I take those stretches on stage or, or do that every once in a while, that's like so joyful for me. Um, does that make It does. I, I think it's part of what is so fun about watching you play and so fun about playing with you is that it, 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 you're probably like 85% straight man, 15% Farley. That like that energy is there just under the surface and it's not like it's not unusual for you to have like an explosion or, or that like transformation moment. And so it, there, there's almost there, there's not to pigeonhole you. I hope that this isn't like a, uh, you know, I hope I'm not out of bounds with this, but there's almost like a Steve Carell quality or like a Will Ferrell, Ferrell quality to your approach to playing where on the surface, there's a very grounded, realistic person. There, there's kind of like an everyman quality to you, but then just, behind that surface is the, the possibility of, of this character having a complete meltdown or freak out. <laughs> and, and it makes the contrast between those two makes the kind of like unflappable surface quality so much funnier. It, it, it's, uh, there's, there's, um, it, it's like a rare art to be able to have that like perfect balance in your approach to playing. You, you were talking about Bob Newhart before yeah. we started the conversation. Are you a fan? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen all those routines and listened to all those routines. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, how do I just say this? I just feel like I'm an older soul. Yeah. Like since I was, you know, I'm the youngest. My brothers and sisters were out of the house. I'm the, I'm the youngest in my family. Um, you know, I hung out with my parents a lot. My parents listened to like classical music. So that was like in me the whole time. And I'd hang out with my brothers and they're, you know, dropping, you know, all these like older references at the time, you know, they're doing Caddyshack, but when I'm little, you know, so all those references are coming out and, um, you know, they're showing me Peter Cook stuff and Dudley Moore stuff and Bob Newhart and stuff. So like that was just part of growing up. So I think I got, I was watching like stuff on 
you know, Monty Python stuff on, you know, Channel 2, like PBS stuff and Faulty Tower stuff. So that stuff was just on, and I don't know how it, it seeped into me, but I feel like that kind of informed where I am, you know, comedy-wise. Yeah. Um, and I always felt like kind of, you know, I had close friends in, in school, but I always felt like I was the kid that was supposed to be in a couple grades but not on an intellectual level, like I'm not smart at all, right. but like I just felt like I line up with people that are a little bit more older. Yeah. And um, so I don't know if that that kind of eased my way down this road, but it, it might have. Um, but does that answer the Bob? Yeah. I, it, well, okay. yeah. The, and I think that that's kind of kind of where like a parallel makes sense between you and Bob Newhart, where in both of your cases, please take this as a compliment. Sure. In both of your cases, it feels like you're watching a grown-up who has their shit figured out. Like, the, it looks like, here's a guy who who has, like, knows the right steps to take with his life. Here's a guy who has it together. And, and, and then there's this underlying stream of silliness and mischief right yeah. there that makes it, like, absolutely delightful. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, when you say the older thing... Um, I mean, I think that that even started when I moved down here. Yeah. You know, already I'm 10 years older than everybody that's here already yeah. for the most part. You know, like I, I got out of school. I was going down this different path. Um, and thank God I'm not on that path. And I chose to come down here and, and do this stuff. But like when I get to the theater, get to UCB and, and get to Magnet and perform in those, you know, improv and do a show and this and there, like I'm already like the older guy, yeah. you know, that's like, um, so I, that's in me. Like, I feel like that, you know, like, and not, and again, like not older and like, uh, I know what life is about, you know, it's just like, I'm, you kind of, I just yeah. have a different, I'm coming in with a different view here because you know I've done a couple you know jobs in Massachusetts and Rhode Island and I was going down a different path and now I'm kind of like starting over but yeah. as a, a guy that's already 30 you already had you life know? experience and, and I had a little bit yeah you know um I didn't you know now it's so crazy for me like to look at both those theaters and be like you know for the most part kids are coming out of school and going you know, straight into these theaters. That's, that's incredible to me. I could never do that. Yeah. I mean, it just wouldn't have the balls to do that. Yeah. You know, I grew up in like, you got to get your money straight. You got to be, you know, conservative and have your stuff. And maybe that, maybe that upbringing informs me as well. Like yeah. on stage, yeah. you know, here's a guy like it's, it's safe. And you know, there's a, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, there's totally. a, there's a parental and responsibilities and this and that. So maybe that kind of came off on, on stage while I was performing too, you know, where were you, where, so how old were you when you started improvising? Um, so I moved down here when I was so, th- yeah, well, hold on 30. Yeah. 30. Yeah. Which is like, you know, I, thank God I got down here. You know, it wasn't, you know, I graduated, the quick story, I graduated school, um, St. Mike's, and I was on the journalism track, 
So I went and I worked in TV news for, you know, right out of school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, during college I was watching, like I always enjoyed comedy and I watched it growing up and I was a big John Hughes fan. And in college I'm taking acting classes because I know there's something there. There's something in me that wants to express something. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking that. Um, during the summers I'm watching, um, you know, the British version of Whose Line. So I don't know about UCB yet. But I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's really, really cool. Um, so I'm doing acting classes. And then everything just kind of lined up in 2004 where my good friend Scott Graves lived down here. He was like, Maddie, if you want to come down here and live, then do it. And everything with my job lined up. My, my car lease was up. My apartment was up. They made a big change at work that was like, hey, you photographers also have to run the live trucks. I was like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. And a guy that is not a risk taker, I'm really not, was like, all right, fuck it. I'll come down here yeah. and try this. And I was scared to death. And I think I stayed in that apartment for like a, <laughs> a year. I'm not even sure why I took UCB classes, but um, thank God, man. I Really, because, you know, I met all you guys. I met my wife. And that's, that's the short version of getting down here. Yeah. Um, so I didn't realize that because you and I really did come up together then. Mm-hmm. We, we were part of the same generation. We Absolutely. started at the same time. I, when yeah. I met you, I thought, I thought that you had been around a little bit longer because you already like you were known around UCB and, and you were kind of like in with groups be- before yep. I was in with anybody. So I had just assumed that you had been like around the scene for a bit. But we had literally like when I met you, we were both kind of starting out together. Absolutely. I mean, I came down here and I did uh, UCB courses, so I went through whatever all that was. Yeah, it was like that would have been like one through three B at that point. One through three, I think I went through. Yeah, one through three B. Um, I got a one, and so there was no place to stay. You know, you're trying to get stage time. So at that time, Sean Taylor was doing Variety Underground mm-hmm. at Parkside. Yeah, and uh, Chris Schneider. And uh, Stan Lukowski were doing Ash Wednesday mm-hmm. at the same venue. And that was a place you could get up and either do improv or you could do characters. So I'm doing characters there as much as I could. I'm emailing those guys constantly, like, let me do characters, da 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 da. They got on, and those characters became a one man show at UCB. Um, so did the UCB, did that thing, and, um, and went through their classes, didn't get on Herald's. Um, got on their sketch teams later, but once the magnet opened, um, I knew about Armando and was like, Oh, I definitely want to try that. And that's really where I met all you guys right at the beginning there, which was awesome. Yeah. God, that was (laughs) so fun. It was, yeah, it, it, um, it's hard not to kind of like romanticize it a little bit, but it, it was just such like a thrown together spirit to everything and yeah and it, like the one thing that everybody had in common that i remember was like first everybody's there for armando yep um uh and second there was kind of like a a, a spirit of we all really want to get good mm-hmm. um we want to we, we and and we don't have anything to like live up to yet exactly there's no yeah. there's no standards set yet so there was like a lot of freedom to just kind of do your own thing. Some of the shows that we did in the early days of the theater were so bad and funky and whatever, but like it, it was just like liberating to be among like-minded people who didn't give a shit at all. Yeah. It was a really exciting time. 
I agree. Yeah, I agree. Where were those characters coming from? Backing up to 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 Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, was it the the was it the presence of the show that was kind of lighting a fire on you to just come up with 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 content to produce, or did you have characters in mind that you were messing around with, and then the show gave you a venue to express them? Uh, um, like, where were you coming up with this stuff? Um, and, and what kind of characters were you coming up with? Back it was like Bob Newhardy type, like talking to, you know, getting that response from someone that's not there, Yeah, you know, answering those questions or putting that out there. So, you know, I just did like real stuff, <laughs> just old, boring, <laughs> uh, just real life stuff. I think that's what I don't, again, like, I guess that's just from watching stuff that I liked, but I was doing like an engagement ring, a first date. Uh, going to Home Depot to order like paint swatches, like real older thirty-year-old boring <laughs> stuff. Yeah, um, that I would write the the week of, and then go um, uh, perform it. And let me tell you, I noticed this. I was saying this to John Bander. I don't know. How, I don't know if you feel like this with improv or something like that, but I feel like I had a lot more confidence going on stage then. Yeah than I do now. Oh, for sure. And I don't know what that is, but I could write that up and be confident enough in it that I was laughing as I was writing it and then go on stage and be really, really excited to belt it out on stage. Now, I'm excited to write it. I think it's funny. And when I go on stage, I'm petrified to perform it. That's interesting. What is it? What do you think? I don't know. Yeah. And it's not... um, and it doesn't matter if there's five people there or if it's going to be a big house. Um, and that's not my thing with improv. I don't have that with improv. Yeah. I don't have any, for, for, for the most part, I have no fear with the, with the improv. Yeah. But do, with do the you have, sketch stuff, I do. Is it because it's more just like it's your name attached to it? There is something kind of anonymous about your improv where it's like, well, I did what yeah. I had to do. Yeah, right. I, I, I was called on to do that, so I <laughs> right. did it. Right. Uh, whereas when it's like you've set, you've sat down at a computer and and yeah. and your name your name is at the top of this of this script. It's like well, you have a certain responsibility to have pulled this off well. Yeah, I I feel like you don't want to bomb, you yeah. know. And even though those are good lessons to learn, and everybody does it, and everybody goes through it, I still don't want to walk off stage and be like, that guy, that was not that funny. Yeah, like. It's not fun. I mean, it's a good learning lesson, but maybe that's the fear of like, ah, shit. Like, I came out here to do something funny, and it just didn't work. You I know? pitched a story this morning, <laughs> I, and this, and it was like I was working on a draft of a story that was due today, and um, like I had I had like a phone meeting earlier in the week where I was like, give me three more days because I have an idea that's I think really funny and and let me work on it and I'll pitch it so I pitched it this morning and uh, it just like it didn't get a single laugh in the room whatsoever and you're like midway through reading your story out loud and nobody's laughing and you're just getting like red in the face yeah it's it's a kind of humiliation because you're humiliated and you have to power through anyway yeah and keep on selling it yeah you know that like all right they're signing off on this and it's a kind of humiliation that you just rarely get to experience yeah in any other venue it is i know it's not good right yeah 
No, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. I, I think, too, like some of it is like when you're younger and, and you don't have a reputation, like your name isn't really like like part of what was fun about the magnet in the early days was like nobody knew who you were or cared who you were. Right. And if anything, like there was like the project would come around way back when Terry Jen's show. Yeah, right. Um, right, were, right. Were you part of that? I wasn't. Okay. Um, that was around and Ash Wednesday was around. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I like met a lot of UCB people mm-hmm. through those shows. And, um, like, I remember being invited, like, uh, uh, like, Risa invited me. Risa and Sylvia invited me to do, like, a, a, a show that was, like, a bunch of UCB people. And then it was, like, two or three people from the indie scene. Okay. I don't even know how they, how they like, knew me, but they, they asked me to do the show. And it was super fun. And it was just this feeling of, like, I am, I'm nobody. Right. I'm a kid. Even, yeah. even if I'm not, like, age-wise a kid, I, I'm nothing. Right. So your failures don't mean shit. People expect you to fail or expect you to be just whatever, a non-entity. Yeah. And the little bit that you accomplish feels like a million bucks. And if you make somebody laugh who you have been watching on Harold Night for the last two years, uh, you feel like a million bucks. Yeah. And then the older you get and the longer you're around, the more you also have that thing where it's like, well, now people know who I am. And and I do like it, you almost feel a little bit that thing of like well if I fail are people gonna not sign up for my classes anymore if I'm not <laughs> funny tonight or oh god well that that's much more I mean Lewis you got that's bigger stakes than I mean you know I'm what I'm not doing anything I mean yeah. but like like that you say that that that's interesting I never even thought of that but like I, I've are they at, are I they not gonna that. sign up for my class well it's always like sometimes <laughs> I uh, like you'll be mid show. You know, and you look out and it's like, oh, I have like 15 students oh, here tonight. shit, man. That's crazy. I didn't think about that. That's crazy. And it's almost invariably the night where sure. you're, you're pulling off like a C plus show. It's like, and everything in, in your whole body is like, you just want to say to people, I wish you were here last week. Yeah. I was so funny last yeah, week. Yeah. But you can't do that. It's an asshole thing to do. And realistically too, your show is probably better than you think it is. Yes. But, but it, it, it's that thing of... You start thinking more about your own reputation, or then you then, and you're not in that playful space of like, well, fuck it, who cares? Yeah, yep. I it's um, yeah. I don't know. I, I I'm not worried about what. I'm not really concerned about what people, you know, think of me. It's just, um. I wish I could just do the work like the old days, like just really come out and, and power through it. Yeah. You know, um, that's what really bothers me. It's one thing to bomb, but it's one, you know, that's, that's fine. But if you're not going to commit and yeah. sell it and bomb, yeah. then that's what drives me nuts. See, you know, I, I about found my, that uh, so surprising to hear you know? because that's totally the opposite of my impression. Like when I get to play with you, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel, and obviously it's not you doing the character, it's us improvising, but yeah. I feel totally, totally confident uh, because it's always this feeling of like, well, Matt's got this, always. Uh, uh, I, I can't think of a time I've ever seen you where you were less than totally committed to whatever you were doing on stage. So it's really interesting to, to hear that, like you have that psych out period before you're going to go do a character. Yeah. With characters for sure. I, with improv, I, I don't, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't, there's, I'm not showing up there every week and, you know, helping the team knock it out of the park. That's, that's for sure. You know, there's more moments in there, but, um, but I don't, I, I don't have a fear 
it may be, you know, get lost in a scene every once in a while, but, um, that stuff doesn't bother me as much as the sketch stuff does. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a line, there's a line thing too. Like, um, even going through like stuff that I'll write and just like getting that maybe that's the confusing part when you do improv and then you're doing sketch. So you feel like you're tied to this, you're a pretty good improviser, but you're tied to this script and you, where there might be a moment that you could do some improv, you don't do it. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe you get tongue tied on the script and you're, you could get your way, you could get out of this by improv and you don't use it. Like that's frustrating sometimes too. Sometimes it's it's as simple as like there's a word choice that will can throw you out of it. Like yeah. for, for the word little l i t t l e for me is always a like it's a trouble word for me. <laughs> there's something about it like I don't pronounce it exactly right, and and when I have to like use it in a sentence, I, I become immediately aware I'm that aware I'm not it. pronouncing yeah. it right, and yeah. then I, I'm like monitoring the tone of my voice, and I'm not committing anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird when when you don't have that. Well, I think I heard T.J. Jekadowski talk about this one time uh, about why because he has. Have you heard about his like vertigo I have. thing? Yeah, and it has only happened to him. For anybody who doesn't know this story, and I, I'm not telling tales out of school, you can. He talks about this mm-hmm. publicly. He has like a, a um, has had acute episodes of of this like undiagnosed vertigo thing that doctors don't know what it is. Right. But like everything flips upside down for him and shrinks down to the size of a pinpoint and then he loses consciousness. And it's only happened for him in scripted shows. Yeah. It never happens in an improv show. And and, and he said in, in an interview one time that he thinks that it's because in in a in a sketch show, you're the next thing you're about to do, there is literally one correct word. And everything else is incorrect. Yeah. And in an improv show, every path you could take is a correct path to yeah. take. Yeah. Then that makes sense. It's really that really makes sense. Yeah. And if it and if that's going to be in your brain and debilitate, you know, and, and really shut you down, um, that that's hard. That that stuff, that's hard to get. I mean, I don't know his you know full on process or what, but you know, if you have that going on in your brain and you're thinking. That's that's hard to deal with that stuff, yeah. you know. And I I don't, yeah. And but I get it. I really get it. I understand it because, um, yeah. There's there's one way here, you know, on the on the words on the page, yeah. you know. Um, that's interesting. I got it not too long ago. I was driving, uh, like through Jersey on like the Turnpike, or you know, and uh, um, I like suddenly had the thought. I'm going like 65 miles an hour, and the thought popped into my head of how do you know how to drive and i went into like a a panic because the part of my brain that was asking that question is not the part of my brain that actually knows how to drive and and there was like this disconnect and you suddenly feel like you're thinking coming from a different part of your brain and that's happened to me once or twice on stage too where like i'll be in the middle of a show and like the thought will occur like how do i know how to do this and then like I can't do it all of a sudden. And oh, it's wow. just like it's everything that you can do to power your way through to just like not crash. Oh you, wow. All you gotta do is like trust that like well my muscles know even if my conscious brain doesn't remember right the steps that you took. But it, it's that same thing of like you're overpowered by the insecurity of not remembering how you were able to do this to begin with. Yeah. Whenever I, I did Armando sketch class a few years ago and I always mm-hmm. found it really relaxing before I was going to read somebody else's sketch out loud to just think about Phil Hartman for a second. 
Oh, okay. And that would like put me in the right frame of mind to be like, no matter what, you just got to sell the shit out of this yeah. script. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is. You, you do it at 100%. And I mean, he was really the, the example of that for, for me, sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky, man. There's no, uh, it's not easy. Do you feel up to date on like what's going on in comedy these days? And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking that. Um, uh, I also feel, I, I, I feel like the older I get in a way, I'm kind of like reverse aging. Like the older I get, the more I start discovering stuff like the Sex Pistols, and it's like, hey, how come nobody told me about this stuff? Like I'm, I'm finding stuff I was supposed to have found when I was like 14. Yeah. Now that I'm in my mid 30s. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think that there's like a part of a part of me that kind of, as a kid, identified more with older generations, mm-hmm. and so like by the time I was in high school. I was kind of an encyclopedia of like old comedy. Yeah. I knew a lot about lots of old comedy that nobody cares about at all. And, and, (laughs) you know, like even, even now, like I would be happy to sit and discuss like, uh, uh, Wheeler and Woolsey with, with anybody who wants to talk about, you know, it's like nobody, but then I sort of find that like identifying with these older generations of comedy, um, now that I, I practice comedy and teach it for a living, I, I'm not quite as up to date. Like I'm not the the sponge soaking everything up the way that I was when I was like 12 years old. Yeah, I mean, I don't watch a hell of a lot. Yeah, you know, and I don't know if this is a comedian thing or not, but like, if I'm if I'm gonna watch anything, it's probably music number one, and then like something drama. Yeah. Like, and I don't know what that's from. Very few things I'll watch, like, comedy-wise. Yeah. You know, like, I'll, I'll give them a shot here and there, but there's, like, very few that I could keep going back to. Yeah. You know? Um, is it because, is it work for you, or is it just you're not, you're not entertained in your off hours watching it? Um, I, I it's not that it's, like, not... I don't know. I, I'm just, I gravitate towards not watching a lot of comedy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if I listen to someone like, hey, you got to watch this or this, and, and I do, like, then I really enjoy it. Like, yeah. um, you know, like, I'll go and watch on YouTube, like, or I have these at home. Like, I'll watch Faulty Towers all day long. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll just keep watching it. Or I'll watch, like, Peter Cook and like in Cleese do like interesting facts. Like I'll watch that sketch like over and over. Yeah. Um, so there's like that, that gets in a rut and I'll do that. But like newer stuff, I, I, I mean, I can watch, I'll watch anything with Galifianakis or, you know, Louis, I love Louis CK yeah, and, yeah. uh, you know, Key and Peele was, that was a great sketch show. Like, yeah. That shit was really super strong. So, you know, I feel like I know enough of what's going on in the comedy world um, and like stuff that's happening. But I, I don't. I definitely don't watch all of it. Um, but I appreciate it. You know, I'm not. I don't. I try not to be like. Uh, I don't. I don't like that certain whatever comedy or whatever. Like yeah. I may not prefer it, but. Um, 
Yeah, it's I, so I like goddamn that. subjective. You it know, is. there's like, and and not only subje- like personally subjective, but also subjective. Like different times of your day, you'll find different. Yeah, things right. Work and and then they yeah. don't work. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm gonna watch these Farley clips today, right? Because I need that kind of laugh, right? You know, I just need to see that guy right. all over the stage. And then there's like I need more cerebral stuff. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I agree with you. You know. Um, but for, you know, am I in tune with it? I feel like I, I guess I am, but that doesn't, um, that doesn't prevent me from trying to follow like what I particularly want to make or think is funny or whatever, you know? So I want to go back to, um, doing characters for Ash Wednesday. So, Mm -hmm. so, so you're doing 30 year old comedy. (laughs) So you're doing a bit about oh, an Jesus engagement Christ. ring. Yeah. So so what would be like your angle on the engagement ring to to uh, uh, sell the joke? It's not jokes. I mean, that's the thing. I wasn't writing. I'm not a joke writer. Like, I don't know how to write like that. And so it was more performance mm-hmm. in the subtleties of a guy that's just really down on his luck, you know, or, or really just sad and pathetic. Um, so the little like minutia stuff was really funny to me and I can't remember that sketch and that sketch is not perfect and it was probably way too long. It was probably four and a half minutes and it was probably a lot of, um, you know, stuff that should have been cut in there, but just real life, like you felt for the guy that was more important for, for me on stage than a barrel of laughs with the jokes was, I want you to believe this guy so even if there's going to be silences in here which i used to be really good that's another thing like i really used to be good at committing through the silences yeah like this thing doesn't need to be people don't need to laugh like every second of this thing as long as they're in it and they believe me and they're you know they believe in this character and they feel for this character that i'm good and uh it's harder for me to do now but um, I, that's amazing to me. That, that that's was hard for that you. was the thing that I was trying to do with those pieces. Yeah. More than if I could hit you like with four big laughs at some point in this, then a whole stream of jokes. Yeah. Then I feel like I did my job. Yeah. And um and they were pretty successful. I had fun like doing that show. Like I I cranked out a bunch of those. You know. I mean. Sean would let me in all the time on that show and, um, and they had good audiences and all, all of us were there that were, you know, friends for, from, you know, Magnet and from UCB. It was a nice crowd there. Good, yeah. A lot of good stuff going on at that time. Uh, and a cool space too. It's still a cool space. Yeah. Good space. Uh, Parkside has like, it's not ideal for improv per se. It's mm-hmm. kind of noisy, but you can still pull off. Like I pulled off perfectly good improv yeah. shows at Parkside, but it's just like a cool, cool space. It, it, you, you feel like you're there to see something and yeah. it's kind of, and it's like far enough off, off the beaten path of like the comedy district that, that uh, I, I don't know. There's something kind of like relaxing about it. You sit back and just see what kind of weird, interesting thing people are going to bring. It was great for, for someone that didn't have a space to play, you know, back then, Yeah. you know, um, I mean, it's even hard now, you know, like if you're not at one of the theaters, it's hard to get space still. Right. I think, yeah. But I think that's way better than when you and ben, I first started. Yeah. When we first started, it was, uh, your UCB class show. Yeah. Um, there was some stuff going on at the pit. Mm-hmm. Parkside. Yep. That was about it. Yeah. It wasn't a hell of a lot. Juvie Hall was, was, uh, Juvie was Hall, a thing right? for a little while. Yep. Um, but there wasn't like nearly, 
you could go out to Brooklyn and do stuff in the back of bars in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I feel like the indie scene now, there's such a network of people and you're going from pit loft to the triple crown bar to, to go do a show at magnet. Then you're heading across town to, to like the pit main stage. And then people like people are doing shit wow. everywhere. And, and Creek in the cave is a big thing. People are heading out to Queens. It, it, I feel like the, the, I'm sure it's still wicked hard to get stage time. Mm-hmm. But it's not nearly as independent island feeling as it was when we were there. Yeah. Um, uh, we did some shows in some weird spaces. <laughs> back, like, just weird. You know, you do your show for three people in, in, in like, a, a place that is, like, is this, like, a warehouse? Or I don't know where the hell we are. What is yeah. this, like, boxes lined up. And it's like, what is this fucking thing? It's weird, weird places. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, as you're talking, I, um, there's a, there's a, a comic called The History of Humor by Eddie Campbell. Have, have you ever read, um, From Hell by Alan Moore? No. Okay. Eddie Campbell does the illustrations for From Hell. Pretty good. If you're into graphic novels, I, that's a, that's a solid one. But he did this, this limited edition thing called The History of Humor that he never finished. And, and it's like a survey of, of comedy and art. And um, there's something that always stuck with me. He was talking about art in the Middle Ages. And he said that if you really want to see a sense of humor um, and see, like, personal expression in the Middle Ages, go to cathedrals and look above the altar. And where people would start to get creative is where they would begin carving, like, demons and devils. And the idea was that these demons and devils would be placed high up above the altar so that they were, like, warnings against your attention drifting away. You were supposed to be paying attention to the service. And if you would look up, there would be these devils looking down at you, and then that would be the warning to go back and focus. But if you look at the devils... It shows like a real sense of humor. Like clearly, these artists were like cutting loose and having a great time uh, sculpting these like horrible, grotesque monstrosities. At the same time, the other place where you would find humor in the Middle Ages would be not in sculptures of saints or sculptures of devils, but periodically you would find works of art that would just be like paintings or sculptures of like somebody getting their hair cut or like everyday scenes. And so he made the argument in this book that you see these kind of like two extremes of humor in history, where on the one hand, it's this heightened, grotesque, insane, caricaturesque uh, uh, tendency. And on the other hand, humor is just the kind of everyday stuff oh, that you see that. around you. That's really cool. And it like, yeah, I, I buy that. Sure. And, um, Certainly, like in a lot of sketch comedy and most improv, will veer towards the exaggerated, grotesque thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, like Hello Laser, I once described as being like watching a really fun nightmare being performed <laughs> for you. There's something very like exaggerated and kind of horrifying about a lot of the stuff you guys will do in Hello Laser. And then the other side is like a guy uh, down on his luck trying to propose. And it's just this kind of thing where it's more about feeling for this guy and seeing this guy. And, and you'd be hard-pressed to say exactly what the mechanics are that are going into making this bit funny. There's no joke to it. But there's something kind of warm and accessible that makes you laugh and feel really happy. You're great at playing both of those. But in particular, your, your, your subtlety... And that interplay between the kind of like responsible grown up and 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 more of like there's a lot of emotion under the surface that comes out in surprising ways makes you so adept at doing a kind of comedy that like I kind of associate it more with like 
Nichols and May or, or certainly Bob Newhart or, or like that kind of thing where they're just like a really stripped down approach that's just like a regular person in a regular environment that you come to, to, to feel very warmly about. Oh, wow. Have you, are you nice. a fan of those guys? Do you do, have you listened to the Nichols and May albums that yeah. survive? Yeah, Aren't those great? The, yeah, they're unbelievable. Yeah, I still think incredible. they hold up as as well, as that, good as anything. That's the amazing part, you know. If your stuff can hold up like that, that's just incredible art, right there. You know, especially in comedy, it, it like comedy ages badly quickly. <laughs> yeah, just by the nature of it, it you're never. Because comedy is only really funny kind of in the bigger context of everything that's going on. And as people's daily life experiences change, then then either you have comedy that once was really great but is mm-hmm. now offensive. Or you have right. comedy that once was really great but now you don't understand the joke at all anymore. Like it just doesn't – it doesn't – there's an expiration date on comedy. And it's yeah. usually a pretty quick expiration date. But you listen to some of Nichols and May routines and some of it is still just it's as funny as can be, man. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, you know, evergreen situations that are always, you know, that just kind of hold up. Um, and, and that's the, I, I love that stuff, you know. I, it's it's always going to be, relationships between two people are, you know, those connections are always going to be strong, you know. Like, you'll always, if it's really deep, rooted in and you know and you have this relationship then it's there's gonna be something funny there you know yeah. there just is so um and those guys were the best at it um and i that that's what's so fun about i mean i, I thank you for saying that by the way but i love the both things you know the 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 scripted and the and the in the um in the improv it's so exciting and fun for me because you can really do both you know like i can play one way and that i write I'll, i write a certain way so i'll play that on stage a certain way and that's very matt evans and whatever but um you know doing improv sometimes i can be someone that i'm not normally going to be yeah. and i i wouldn't ever be in that scene otherwise or <laughs> or act like that or I wouldn't write a scene that's normally totally. what happened on stage and that stuff's so exciting for me because um I love breaking out of the mold I normally play yeah you know I really do it's very exciting um uh you know I've seen you like in in improv scenes and um when you explode out of out of something that I'm not normally used to seeing, it's just so very exciting to watch. You know, it's like, wow, he might have even surprised himself on stage out there. You know, and um, you know that's why this stuff's so fun. I think. Yeah. You know? It it well, there's like I can think of of a couple of times playing where you step on stage because like a character is needed right now. Mm-hmm. And you don't have time to second guess or even think about it. You just have to make like a snap second decision of like this is how this person is going to be. Right. Um, we need a redneck uncle right now <laughs> who's on his like sixth beer. <laughs> right. um, and you step in and you do it. And and um, I've noticed that my brain will kind of do this automatic thing when that happens, where like 
the moment you know that this person needs to enter, my brain will give me almost like a snapshot of what this guy was doing five seconds ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll see that picture, and then before I know it, my feet have stepped onto the stage, and, and then you're doing this thing. And that is like feeling your brain do that. Yeah. Uh, um, and then watching your body just lead the move, and then before you know it, stuff is coming out of your mouth that would never have been, if you sat down to write it, you right. never would have you said You would never, never say that. Never. You know? it, 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 it comes from, I don't like the word inspired right now because it, it doesn't, that doesn't feel like, it just it comes from, there's like a collision that happens in your brain. There's like a little explosion because of the pressure of like, well, this needs to happen now. And, 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 and out of that collision comes this line of dialogue that totally catches you you off guard yeah and well, and then yeah. you're in that place where it's like oh everything i'm saying is funny now yeah it, it, and it's just totally uncensored and, and you don't know exactly where it's coming from it's the greatest feeling in the world it is and it comes from i feel like i've been really fortunate to 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 been part of teams that the the makeup of that team has been so different yeah like the personalities. Yeah. Your four track was, you couldn't have four different, more different people on that team. Yeah. And you guys uh, really brought the best out of each other too. I think it, so. There was, it was like the perfect tension between everybody so that everybody, everybody in that show succeeded on exactly their own terms. But I would never think of that as like a Matt Evans show. No, no. I, and I, I don't think, I think when you saw it, that was a four track show. Yeah. You know, and those, those best shows, I think we had more good shows than not good shows. We yeah. had plenty of duds for sure, but that was the makeup of a team that was so different. And again, goes to this whole note of like, um, you know, being able to be on stage and not like taking, taking a suggestion and be just being in a scene that you normally wouldn't write yeah. or be in, yeah. you know, same thing with laser, like four completely different people. Yeah. You know, like on stage and those shows are so exciting because especially for me, because you get a show that um, it's I can't think of that. I, you'd never be able to even think of what's going to happen on that stage tonight, you know, and sometimes it's really great and sometimes it's OK. But like um, that's that's the great thing about getting out of the the writer's mind for a little for little sure. bit, you yeah. know, because. You know, I'm going to write what I'm going to write. I know how, you know, if you sit me down right now, I'm going to write whatever. But when you put, you know, on stage with other players that think differently, um, that's so exciting to, because I'd never, I, you know how it is. You you just don't think like that. Yeah. You know, like you don't know what, you know, Farrell's going to, you know, Dan's going to say to you or or Quentin's going to say to you. Like, you, you know, you you don't know what those guys have up their sleeve you know and, yeah. and having to react off that like it's really fun you know part there's also the thing where you, you get you get four people who think so differently mm-hmm. in a situation where you're looking to think the same mm-hmm. and all these surprises come out of that tension like four trek in particular uh, uh is a show where watching you guys aggressively match the shit out of each other and, and watching you all wrap your head around okay we have to find ways to keep on doing more of this same thing yeah um it it, 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 it i don't know a less um like cumbersome way to say it but but like you know you, you kind of like submerge yourself to like the will of the show a little bit and in a way 
because you're not you're not engaging the writer part of yourself. You're not doing okay. I'm setting myself Matt Evans up for a thing that I know Matt Evans is going to succeed at. Mm-hmm. I'm doing right now. This scene needs more uh, angry postal workers angrily delivering the mail, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and because you're not trying to represent yourself in that. Uh, um, all the little tiny differences in the way that everyone is doing the same thing becomes magnified and you end up with almost just as clear a feeling for the, the individuals that are on stage. Like it, it, you express yourself sort of without meaning to it, 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 in these little tiny ways that end up kind of making all the difference. Yeah. Um, I, I think too with like four track. Correct me if I'm wrong on, mm-hmm. on, on this one, because the the format of four track was basically get a suggestion, four person matching scene with a lot of energy, and then you deconstruct that matching scene uh, with a bunch of shorter scenes of varying yeah. length and varying numbers. Then another four person scene matching mm-hmm. deconstruct. Then you come back again and try to call back everything yeah. that you created, basically. Right? Yeah, that didn't always come to fruition but that but, was like the but that the was the format yeah i mean that was a form that shouldn't really work yeah you know well, how, how so well we got out of that dwarf class you know and then it kind of that it kind of came from the dwarf class you know where you know kevin dwarf was doing just matching exercises with us for eight weeks yeah right it was eight weeks of just matching back and forth. I remember... I mean, you, you liked it, right? I love... I thought... Yeah. It, you know, it's what's funny to me about that class is I, I have... I, for me, that class was like a turning point. Uh, that's my same thing. But you can't talk to three people who did that class who have three of the same memories <laughs> of it. They, people have wildly different experience of that class. I remember a 10-minute long scene between you and Charlie Whitcroft that I still it's, think of as one of the one funniest one of my things. favorite scenes. That was really scene. the turning point. Yeah. I think, Lewis, right there is the turning point. Yeah. Because, you know, Dorf's like, listen, why are we saying no? Like, why are we already putting up a barrier in this scene? You know, I think we did a whole series of scenes and they were just like, shit. Yeah. And he's like, dude, just get on the same page. Like, just match the guy. Yeah. And just see, see what happens. And everyone did it. Not just me and Charlie, but, like, everyone that came on stage just went, like, crazy through the roof. And I think out of that thing, um, you know, I think, you know, we talked to, you know, the four guys that were in four track. And I think we were like, listen, there's something here. The, there, there's something here. There's something in this show that could be matching. You know, I don't know what it is. And it was Capazzoli that went out and really made the form, mm-hmm. you know, got the form going. But, um, you know, I, I, I still don't know why that works. You know, like you put a matching scene up, it doesn't always work. Yeah. You know? Um, well, I think there was like, there was something, it was kind of like Monty Python a little bit in that sense of the four of you guys had had enough of a similar sensibility that mm-hmm. that you were able to catch together. Yeah. But also four very different personalities. And among the four very different personalities, yeah. two groups, two duos that were already kind of autonomous duos. Exactly. Too. It was Christian, yeah. Christian and George Christian and you and Frank. Right. And Christian and George were already an amazing duo and you and yep. Frank were already an amazing duo. So, and there is that way, like you read about Python where very different individual personalities, mm-hmm. duos within the group of people right. who worked really well together, but then the sum was just kind of greater 
the whole was greater than than the sum of mm-hmm. its parts too. Be, yeah. Because at the end of the day, they could catch this like silly vibe together and bring out more of it from each other, even though there were different points of view. Yeah. Four Track had a very similar thing to it, where where on a good night, and you guys had good nights far more often than you didn't have good nights. Um, it would bring out this like really special stuff out of all four of you guys. Yeah, I agree. I feel like probably the half hour shows were probably the best. Yeah. Like once it went to an hour, Yeah, I feel like us at 25, I mean, you'd have to ask everybody else, but us at 25 was probably, probably the strongest yeah. rather than going to the 40 show, you know? I mean, it was nice to do the 40 show, but like us at 25, which I think... Um, well, 40 gives you more time to think about how it comes together in a way yes at 25 you have no time to think about you have to do everything that you can to remember the sequence yep you know and 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 i think that's part of what was special about the form the way that you guys approached it was you guys were all acting together before there was a second's notice Mm -hmm. and it's sort of similar to that feeling like when a character is being called on stage and it's like i don't have time all i can think of is this one image and i'm in it and that's it you're playing before you've had a chance to to um, analyze. And because you have this failsafe of whatever I'm playing is being bounced back to me through through this like resonance of the other people around Exactly, me, right. It, it's heightening and developing and you're, you're just using your gut to play the whole thing. And I think that when you guys were playing in a 25-minute or 30-minute format, mm-hmm. you're starting on that page and then it's this aggressive follow-through of play, 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 and then the lights are out. And it's like you didn't have, <laughs> you didn't have time yeah. to try to figure out how does this relate to that? How do these things tie, to, tie together? Sometimes when you have more more time, you, you make the job a little bit more stressful for yourself. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to say it. I think we we got around to it on the forty. I mean, we could come around. Yeah. But um, like you said, on the on the half hour, you might not get to everything, but at least you're going out screaming. Yeah. You know, like you you gotta you're you're getting out there on a high note for the most part. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a change for us. Those, those two different times, but, um, yeah, I mean, those that, uh, again, just a nice example of four different people doing, you know, doing stuff that you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't normally do, yeah. you know, and, you know, on your own. Um, that, that's like, that's, what's so great about improv, you know? I think there's something too about like um, just going back to your point about not always wanting to come out and do the Matt Evans approach to playing. Sometimes you want to play somebody very different from mm-hmm. yourself. Um, I I put a lot of stock in my own sense of boredom. I, I think that like a lot of people learning improv want to rush the process of getting really good and they want to be challenged with really tough notes and they want pe- they want to be pushed by outside by outside personalities to like do things that they don't want to do and and the impulse is very honest but i think that sometimes your own sense of boredom is going to lead you to make more exciting choices than this like self-administered regimen of self-improvement because I, I think that when you're thinking about like, okay, what am I not doing and how can I do that and be better? For some people, I'm sure that that works really well. But for a lot of other people, you get hooked up on this chronic 
processing of notes over and over and over again. And the more you do it, the, the, the further removed you are from any of the play that you're creating, the more you're just trying to work out the mechanics of eventually being a, a Jedi Master and just being able to handle anything at any time and be the most versatile performer of all time. And it's kind of an impossibility. Yeah. It, Part of the pleasure of getting to improvise over and over again is that you figure out where your comfort zone is, mm-hmm. and you figure out the sweet spot on the on the on the glove, where you catch there more often than not, and it's a, you got a powerful snap to your catch when you hit that sweet spot, and 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 I think you are supposed to feel that sense of kind of relaxation inside. There's like a you're comfortable getting up there and playing it. Boredom is usually an indication of too much comfort. You, you're so comfortable with what you're doing that there isn't that like spark or snap to it anymore. Yeah. And a lot of times when you're feeling that boredom, that's when you naturally just want to do something to jolt yourself. And that's usually a good place to be coming from because you, you don't, um, you're not really worried about the consequences from that. It's like more important that you feel that jolt than that what you're doing works. I, I don't know if you ever had that, but like I've certainly had my moments where not to sound like an asshole, but it was less important to me that the audience loved the show mm-hmm. and more important to me that I just didn't feel like I was doing the same shit as I always do. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm always trying to beat the neutral note because yeah. that's what I got the most. Yeah. You know, Armando would give me that note and UCB would give me that note and they're right. They're like, that's kind of playing whatever just playing subtle or 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 and i tend to do that a lot or or um you know just kind of you know kind of low there subtle um turns into not making a choice right so i'm trying to beat that neutral note every night because that's my you know that's my great weakness you know it's like well what are you doing are you doing anything out here like make a choice and and that's where i get in a rut so i think that's why when i mentioned to you like i'm trying to push you know i'll i'll play whoever matt evans is on stage that's always going to be the case but when i say to you like i'm trying to stretch you know it's all about making a strong choice and and staying out of that neutral zone and when i do that i think it's better for myself and better for the show yeah. and better, better for, and it's like anybody in the scene, you know, like what's that great game you guys, what's that improv game? Um, it's so simple. I don't, not, I'm not, a, I don't know a lot of games, but like just that declaration game, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that like two chairs in front of it and just make a declaration? I think so. Right. That sounds Isn't familiar. that something? Yeah, sure. Like just tell me something right off the bat in, we, you know, we always get in a rut of never doing this, but like, I'm angry or I'm, I, right. I love you. Right. I'm angry at you. You make me sad. Like just that game, you're, you're, you're fucking so ahead of the game by just doing that yeah. in a scene yeah. than coming out how I normally do, you know, like, are the pears ripe or whatever, you know, like what, <laughs> just not making a choice yeah. basically. Like just tell me how you feel and how you feel and then we'll find some scene and shit will open up and and we'll get to something good you know i always loved that um i might have even done it with you or pete did it or i just loved it it's just so simple you know and then we start our way of whatever that scene was about yeah you know 
Um, but it's again, it's the neutral note. It gets gets me out of the neutral for sure when you declare. You know, I remember Jean Vilpe giving me the note one time. She was like, "You hesitate a lot, and mm-hmm. um, th- get used to thinking of hesitating as denial. You're denying okay. your partner when you're hesitating." Which, yeah, uh, that struck a chord with sure. me. Sure, because I I I I knew exactly what she was talking about. I still do it. Uh-huh. I do it all the time. If you give me a lot of time in a scene, I will. I do it with Rick at least three times a show when we're performing together, and and for me, it's a thing of of um. I, I, I think somewhere somewhere the note crept into my mind of like you don't want to overact. You want to be like subtle, and you want you want people to feel like they're watching a real experience. Mm-hmm. And so I, I will clamp down and and not make impulsive choices, uh, uh, trying to create this appearance of really listening or really thinking in character. And sometimes it it works really well Mm -hmm. when you actually are thinking in character. I happen to be of the school of thought that thinking on stage is both uh, um, inescapable, you can't avoid it, is a good thing depending on how you're doing it. And watching a character process and think can be really exciting. That usually a lot of laughs you get on stage are when you're watching someone think about what was just said. Um, but then there's the bad kind of thinking where it is, it, it's a kind of hesitation. And, yeah. and getting used to thinking of hesitating as I'm denying my partner right now. Yeah. I, just, I just blocked their move because I, I just wouldn't act on it. That was super. Yeah. Um, I've been really enjoying recently in, in rehearsals, I stole this from uh, McNapier's new book, just running two line scenes. Um, but yes, a shit ton of them. Yeah, yeah. For like I, I for agreed. like thirty minutes, agreed. just run two line scenes. Yeah, with no breaks. Yep. Don't think about the response. Just go and and you know after a few minutes of it, you wear down this resistance, and it's amazing how much emotion comes out of you. It's amazing how many choices you just fucking go with it and totally embrace it. You just own the shit out of everything, just because it's like you exhaust yourself. Yeah, I I I love that stuff. I, it's so helpful. And, and now I think that's like, and that, I think that's the same thing with writing too. You know, now that you, you say that out loud, um, I think it's taken a long time to realize this, but like, yeah, man, what are the, what are the three lines of this? That's that's Like, why are you dicking around in this sketch? Like all this shit is, doesn't need to be in here. Yeah. Like what, what are we saying? So cut it out and get to it, you know? And, and that's a great, um, it, it takes a long time. It took me a long time to learn that, but I agree. I love that exercise, and I, I feel like that's probably one of the most important ones you can run. Yeah. You know, um, two lines, man. Let's let's. What is it? What is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> Who are these people, and what is happening? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's so free too. I mean, how much more free are you on stage once you know that? I mean, how many scenes have we gone out and we've done and been like, where the fuck are we? Who is this? And of course we're going to shell up because we don't know what, and then we're just inventing shit to get out of the scene, you know? Well, and you're um, also, you feel powerless too. That's the thing. When you're in a yeah. scene and you feel power leaking away from you, mm-hmm. um, that's where like you start, you start inventing shit that yeah. feels phony because you're, 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 all you're trying to do is recharge the scene with power. Right. That's where those inventions come from. Right, right. And it's all the difference of like you come out and you know what that line is, you know what your thing is, you get right to it immediately, you don't dick around. And yep. and I should also say too that like 
in a practical situation, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're playing at full speed. You can get to it immediately mm-hmm. in in the style of yes, slow right. and deliberate and yes. subtle and quiet. You can. But you can get to subtle immediately. Yes. There's a difference between waiting to be subtle, hesitating, mm-hmm. you know, that Gene Villapique note, which is, that's exactly what it is. You're not being subtle. You're not owning subtlety. Yep. You're waiting to be subtle versus... Subtlety is your declaration as an improviser. That's the choice that you've made. Mm-hmm. And you feel the difference because it's just like power surging when you're on stage. Yep. You never feel that pressure to be inventing more shit because the power's already there. You're not trying to get the car battery started again. Yep. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's, uh, I love that you're doing those, those, those exercises. They're a blast. They're, They're great. great. You know, I think Eason would do, uh, you guys might do these two, the two chairs back face facing. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. And isn't that the same thing? Like, um, you can't see your partner. So you're forced to make, it's almost like a three line scene, wasn't it? I remember it doing it with Eason where it was like, you're responding. It's just like a tone game. You're responding to each other's tone back and forth and building the scene, like picking up on the subtext of everything because you don't have, yeah. you can't see what they're doing, yes. so you can't name it. So you just have to go from the subtext of what you're hearing. Yep. I did that. He, he did like an acting for improvisers class and, and that was that. And he'd do this too, which I never do. I'm, you're great at it. I, I am horrible with object work. Hmm. Always have been. I don't know how to close a door or hold a mug or all that stuff. And I never do anything when I walk out on stage. I'm never shoveling or fucking <laughs> putting anything away yeah. or, or whatever. So back to that Eason. Eason would have you do those two back-to-back chairs and then pick something bold to do and then turn around and face each other. Oh, that's interesting. Which yeah, I loved yeah, yeah. because you got somebody fucking doing a nail gun to a board and then right. someone's doing a ballet dance. Right. And who are these people? Let's figure it out. At least it's ramped up and exciting now than two people that walked on stage with their hands in their pockets. Waiting you know? for something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I loved that. Yeah. It's something I never do. Rarely come out with an action um, and it can be so important and I appreciate it when anybody does it. Yeah. Um, cause I think it's rare. You don't see it often, but if anybody's going to come out and make a strong action, God, that's just so helpful. Yeah. I never do it. And that, those exercises, I mean, you think it would stick with me, but, um, it was so fun to, to play those scenes cause <laughs> it's, um, you know, you made two strong choices. Let's figure it out. You know, one thing that I, am enjoying about having been improvising long enough now that I'm not really that scared of doing it too much. Like I still get scared. And if I, if I go on the road, I I'm scared or, or, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, I don't have the same kind of anxiety that I used to have about it. Now I'm sure I'm going to like have horrible anxiety Sunday, (laughs) but, but, um, I'm finding it easier and easier these days to think before a show and put myself in the frame of mind of like, oh, for the show tonight, um, talk before you're ready to talk or, or, or 
for tonight's show, remember, like, start in the middle. That's the the flavor of tonight's show is you're going to need strong declarations, yeah. good words chosen that imply a lot of relationship. And, and there's, like, a relaxation that helps to just kind of think and set yourself to do the show that you're about to do. Mm-hmm. So, so you can actually prime yourself to be prepared to kind of play in the style that that show calls for. And sometimes it is a, a, a very fast-paced style. Sometimes it is like, uh, you know, tonight's all about grounded place and, and revealing it a little bit at a time. But mm-hmm. I, I like that. I used to not be able to, I'm still like not a very versatile performer, but I, I used to really struggle to do shows that didn't just kind of serve the particular style of improv that I was already good at. Mm-hmm. And and I'm finding the older I get, the more and more fun I have just being like, well, whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah, agreed. I just remember now, actually, you and I doing a scene together at Ash Wednesday years ago that may have been my first, like, longer, really good scene. I I think you and I did, like, a 12-minute scene together at Ash Wednesday. Is that possible? Would they have given us 12 minutes? That might have been. I remember you and I doing a scene where it turned out that we were, like, two students in Italy who had been like arrested for for uh we were th- we were thrown in jail for like touching the art or something in an art museum. Do you remember this? I can't really I can't get it. Yeah. It it, it yeah, that I think is what that's that's basically the whole scene. It was a lot funnier than that because we didn't get to that until like 12 minutes in. <laughs> it was one of those scenes where it it like just kind of very slowly revealed what was going on. But I remember that there was like a moment where it kind of clicked, and we both like recognized, oh wow, like why we were doing everything, and that was that was a nice, that was a good, oh cool, yeah, nice yeah. warm memory. I mean, those are that's nice that we could get that time, yeah, back then, you yeah. know, to do that. And I remember seeing like a lot of people do that, you know, like um, um, the stomping ground guys got oh, yeah, time, yeah. you know, yeah. they'd get a lot of time to do stuff, and Zach and Risa would do a lot of stuff, and um, that's cool. This was too. Not, I don't want to get too sentimental. I'm not getting too sentimental. I'm not sentimental. Sentimental about it at all. But I. Um, that was Ash Wednesday. Was Wednesdays at like eight, I think, mm-hmm. or maybe seven. Yeah. Maybe seven. And I remember I would house manage and also do those shows periodically. Mm-hmm. And back then, um, we would close after that show. I think that was the only show that night or maybe there was like a class show at seven and Ash Wednesday at eight and then we would close the night. Oh my God. If in the early, early days of Magnet, like the first like two months we were open, I think we were only open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay. And then we opened up for Ash Wednesday to do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Um, That's a big way that I think things have changed since since we started uh, of like back then it just wasn't feasible to be open more than four days a week yeah now that's right there's like everybody has a training center and a basement yeah. theater and and it's just like and everything is ongoing all the time back yeah. then you couldn't sustain more than four days a week yeah i i forgot i mean like i have to remind me what an absolute privilege it is that we started when we started yeah because there's just so many people um you know, in the system, you know, in the magnet system, in the UCB system, I mean, just truckloads of people that want to do this stuff, you know? So, um, I, 
really appreciate it and I, I love it. I, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure and you can't forget that either. Cause you know, listen, I'm not in the city as much as I used to be, you know, like in, or at the theater as much as those older days. I don't think any of us are, yeah. but, um, yeah, you forget about that. Like there's so many people like in these systems now, you know, and magnet is big, you know, it's, it's a big place with a lot of, um, a lot of classes and a lot of people taking, um, stuff. So, um, yeah, it's tough to get stage time. Yeah, <laughs> we were we were super lucky. And I like I, I, I there were like a chain of coincidences that just so like looking back turned out to be a chain of coincidences that pushed me into starting when I started, and and then looking back, it was like what a great time to start improvising. Yeah, well, I have one more question I want to ask. Yep, uh, um, you may not be able to answer this question. Okay, uh, uh, you and uh, Christine, your delightful wife, mm-hmm. Christine Walters, uh, have a son. Finn. Yes. Uh, from everything I've seen, ranging from Milo Delaney <laughs> to uh, 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 to Bryn McNerney mm-hmm. to 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 your son, improvisers make great parents. True or false? True. Great. I knew it. That's it, right? That's it. <laughs> Improv kids seem like well-adjusted kids. The ones I've met, they 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 have a lot of personality and and are tend to be not jerks but they tend there tends to be kind of like a playful confidence to them i know i'm overgeneralizing, but the ones i've met yeah. seem to be playfully confident but don't have that like jerk thing to yeah, them that so I, many kids have i think that's a nice way to say it i think you could say that about finn for sure like yeah. a playful confidence yeah yeah in a in a kid for us that's like not into one thing yet which is cool like he loves sports and he does a singing and like dancing class. And then, you know, he'll do, he's happy to do a little bit of everything and not tied to one thing, which I think is a great thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, play, playful confidence. I think that's kind of, yeah, that's a good way to say it. All right. Sweet. Matt Evans. Pleasure, man. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks awesome for talking to, talk to you. Yeah, yeah, it was a really nice conversation. Cool. Nice yeah. catching up. Uh, you guys can see Matt Evans uh, playing with Hell Laser on Thursday nights. What else? Are, what do you plug stuff? You have Just for Laughs coming up? Well, the Just for Laughs I'm submitting. Okay. So hopefully um, I can uh, be part of that whole audition thing down the road cool. um, in, in March. That would be awesome. Cool. Um, but uh, Laser, and then uh, I do the. Um, do the poetry show. Beautiful. That's every couple weeks. Yeah. Or are you playing next week? I am. Oh, sweet. I'm sitting in on the oh, one, sitting too. In? Yeah. Cool. Oh, cool. Oh, fun, man. Nice. Oh, sweet. Great. Woo-hoo. Rock and roll. Matt Evans, folks. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. Thank you to uh, our producer, uh, Evan Ford Barden. Thank you to today's engineer, Evan Ford Barden. Thank you to our regular engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, to our executive producer, Ed Herbstman, and to all of you fine people for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, please do go on iTunes and give us a positive rating. Kind words are welcome. Uh, hey, have a, have a great whatever you're doing right now. Do it with 100% of everything you got inside of you. Thank you to Matt Evans. I've been Lewis Kornfeld. Bye, everyone. Bye now, friends. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast.
This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.